those of you joining us online, it's good to be with everybody this morning. I trust um, all of you are profiting as much from this Backyard Pilgrim as I am, at least this last week. Um, beyond just getting a chance to slow down a little bit with life, it's also really cool to just connect with some people as part of the caravan. So, and that's an important thing for us because um, if you think about it, as we pilgrimage through life, God doesn't leave us alone. He gives us, gives us brothers and sisters in Christ to walk alongside us. And if you think about it, in many ways, that's exactly what Paul has been teaching us since we kind of picked up chapter four um, right after the holidays. Because he's basically describing the church and unity within the church. And in particular, how that church is really just one big, massive caravan where um, we work together and we serve Christ together. So he's been very focused in teaching us an awful lot about church um, and the unity within that church and the role that we have in carrying out God's master plan to unite all things in Christ. Now when we say that, we don't wanna just skip over that. If I were to ask you, um, name five or 10 of those most important topics within our Christian faith, You'd probably say grace and mercy and forgiveness and some things like that. But I don't know how many of us would actually say that God's master plan is to unite all things in Christ and he's going to do that through the church. But that's a pretty fundamental teaching that we're learning here from Paul. And so I think it's really important for all of us to really be able to start to bring that to the forefront of our mind, just as much as we might focus on forgiveness or grace or mercy. And we notice here that Paul is urging us to live up to this calling as members of Christ's body so that we can carry out this unique role alongside our brothers and sisters. So we're gonna go ahead and dig in today, and I just want you to have that in the back of your head as we kind of unpack what Paul's got for us. So Paul writes, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, before we get into that gift thing, we gotta be really careful that we don't pass over that very first word, but. It's a conjunction, and it's absolutely critical that we understand why Paul used this particular conjunction, but. Because it links it to the previous section, which as I already mentioned was all about unity in the church. And it's gonna tie it to what we study today. So we're not leaving this issue of church or unity in any way, shape, or form. Rather, Paul's gonna take us even deeper by giving us another way to look at it. So let's quickly review what Paul has already been showing us throughout chapter four, so we'll make sure everybody's on the same page. Recall that Paul started this out by urging us to respond to our call to unity. So we got a role here. We're not supposed to just sit back. We actually are supposed to do something. We're to respond. And it all starts with humility. Pretty much everything in our faith starts with humility, that's the basis, the building block. And then we move to gentleness, and then patience, and then bearing with one another in love, with the ultimate objective of maintaining the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And then Paul showed us the extent to which he expects unity within his church with regard to these seven ones. One body, one spirit, one hope, all tied to the Holy Spirit. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, all linked to Jesus. One God and Father who is over, through, and in all. And the way Paul ordered these seven ones 
in the context of the Trinity is really important for us to grasp because he shows us how unity is ultimately the work of the Trinity. And then he uses this word, but. And by choosing to use but instead of and, Paul signals that he's going to teach us a slightly different angle here on this notion of unity. He's going to do it in the context of the Trinity. Because just as each person of the Trinity is unique in how they function within the oneness of God, so too each member of the church is also unique in how they function within the unity or the oneness of the church. Now to see this, recall the three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and how they're diverse in their function, but unified in their essence. They are one God. The Father's God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. They each have a separate identity. The Father is the creator and sustainer of the universe. The Son is Savior and Lord of the world. And the Holy Spirit is the sanctifier of God's people. And that is essentially where Paul's going to take us now with the church. Because you see, each and every one of us has a separate and unique identity. But we are one body as a church. Paul teaches here that grace was given to each of us uniquely according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, according to how our Lord Jesus chose to apportion it to each one of us. And that's a remarkable statement. It's an acknowledgement that Jesus gives us our own unique set of gifts. And that's real personal if you think about that. We give gifts to people we're in relationship with. And it really does, it's a statement of our personal connection with them. He has a personal connection with us. He gives us these gifts. But here's the thing. None of us are given absolutely every gift that is needed by the church at large to operate the way God designs the church to operate. No one person can be church in and of themselves. But rather, each of us are given a unique set of gifts and talents that are to be used within this body, within this church. And when we unite, we all have access to everything we need to carry out God's cosmic plan. Perhaps think of it as a puzzle of sorts, with each piece having a different shape, a different color. And when we unite in Christ, when the puzzle pieces all fit together as Christ designed them, we will operate as one body and step with God's will, his master plan to unite all things in Christ. Also notice how Paul reminds us the gifts we receive are a result of grace. They're a result of unmerited favor, meaning there's nothing that any of us did to deserve them. So we can't boast about them. They're simply gifts from God. So whether you've been gifted at serving, at teaching, praising, thanking, reaching the lost, all those pillars we talk about, every one of our talents, all of our skills, all of our knowledge, all of our behaviors, they came by way as a gift from Jesus. In some sense, every single one of us are a gift to the church. And we're a gift to be used for a purpose, and that's to build up Christ's body. You see, we don't get gifts 
for our own satisfaction, for our own status, or to gratify ourselves. They are for the church. We must never use them to elevate ourselves spiritually, as though we're more special than someone else because of the gift that Jesus has given us. Because that's not the intent behind these gifts at all. We each receive unique gifts from Jesus to be used, to build up the body, to build up his church. And that is what underscores the overarching teaching here that Paul wants us to see. That there's unity to be found within our diversity. That is the different angle that Paul wants to show us here. That's why he used the but. Paul is showing us how unity does not mean conformity, that we're all supposed to be alike. So you shouldn't be annoyed with the person sitting next to you in your pew simply because they're not like you. Unity, the way Jesus intends it for the church, brings diverse gifts together for a united purpose. It's kind of like a baseball team where a lefty plays first base, someone with a strong arm, pitches. The guy that's got those cat-like reflexes, he anchors third. And the person that's tough and gritty, he squats behind the plate playing catcher. Each of them using their diverse gifts to unite around the mission to go and win a championship. So it's not about the superstar. You can't win the World Series with nine all-star pitchers taking the field. They just don't feel very well together. They don't bat very well together. They can pitch, but that's all they can do. Like baseball, church is a team sport. Each member uniquely endowed with gifts to play their role. And that's why we want every single person at Four Mile to start working through these pillars. Not so that we're all good at every single one of them, because that would run counter to Paul's teaching here. But so that we understand each tool. We know it's how it's supposed to be used within the church and who might be gifted in it. So that whenever we run up against a situation in our everyday, ordinary lives, maybe we know which teammate that we're supposed to call for an assist. Or at a minimum, we certainly know how it's supposed to be used. But then, Paul goes into another one of these asides that he's so famous for. He writes, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now if you're following along here, this is a bit of a head scratcher, right? This is one of those parts where you're reading your Bible and you're like, whatever. And you just kind of move along, right? But if we did that here, we'd miss a really critical point. So Paul has just finished telling us how Jesus is giving each of us a unique and diverse set of gifts so that we can use them together in unity, part of his church. And then he takes this aside to explain how it is that Jesus became the giver of gifts, which is really important when you think about it because we kind of have to have a clear understanding about how this all goes down. And Paul does so by referencing Psalm 68. Those are the words he uses. That's a psalm that King David wrote some 10 centuries before this. In it, David extols God for giving him this great victory on the battlefield. Now, Back in David's day, whenever a nation went off to battle and was victorious, 
the army would return to the homeland with two things. The enemy as prisoners, captives, and the plunder as gifts. So the victorious army would march on high, parading the captive in front of the victorious nations so that all could see that the enemy was no longer a threat. If you look up there, the enemy looks pretty sad, doesn't he? The reason, they've been defeated. They've been captured. That's what the reference to led a host of captives is all about. And of course, the other part, and he gave gifts to men, refers to how the victors would also shower gifts on the people from the plunder taken from the enemy. That's the picture that David paints in Psalm 68. And Paul wants us to have that image in our heads as he takes yet another aside to the aside. You gotta love how Paul's mind works sometimes. In fact, it's even in parentheses. He writes, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, if you didn't already just skip over Psalm 68 and that last part, you're certainly gonna skip over this, aren't you? I mean, it's in parentheses. There's no reason to read this. You just slide right by it. But again, if we passed over this, we'd really miss something vital here, something really important. So we kinda gotta knuckle down and push through these hard parts of scripture. You see, Paul's showing us that what King David wrote about in Psalm 68, it applies here to King Jesus, who ascended victorious just like David did. But in Jesus' case, he ascended victorious over sin and death after being crucified on a cross. So Paul's showing us how Jesus is able to give gifts because he is victorious in the resurrection, what we celebrate at Easter. But before Jesus could do battle against evil and the power of darkness, Paul says he had to first descend from his position in heaven as a son of God to the lower regions, to earth. That is what we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation, where Jesus descended from heaven to dwell among us on earth. So Paul reaffirms here that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God who descended from heaven. Because if he hadn't descended, he couldn't have ascended back to heaven victorious with captives and gifts. So who are the captives? Well, when Jesus ascended on high in victory, he metaphorically led a host of captives. Evil had been defeated. Satan, demons, sin, even death had lost its sting. Jesus conquered them all once and for all. Can you imagine how all of heaven must have rejoiced in the resurrected king and his victory over evil? And then he even gave gifts. And these are the very gifts that Paul is specifically talking about here. They're gifts from God the Son conveyed by God the Holy Spirit who was poured out on God's people. And that's what we celebrate at Pentecost. That usually happens around Memorial Day each year. When the Holy Spirit lit the flame 
and the church of Christ was born. So Jesus, as the head of the body, is the one who gives gifts to be used for his church. You see, when Jesus descended in the incarnation at Christmas, he was fully man, so he was limited on earth. He could only be in one place at one time. But when he ascended at Easter, he was liberated from the limitations of the body, and he was able to be everywhere through his spirit that he pours out generously on his people. That's why Jesus said in John 16, it's good for him to go away, because if he didn't, the Holy Spirit would not come. You see, the ascended Jesus does not mean that Christ deserted his people. It's actually quite the opposite. He ascended so that he could indwell each and every one of his people, so that he might fill all things that are part of his church, filling them with the Holy Spirit and endowing them with gifts, just like a conquering king might do. So the same Jesus who descended at Christmas is the same Jesus who ascended at Easter. He seeks sinners, heals suffering, comforts sorrow, befriends outcasts. He loves his people. And so he bestows gifts on them, on us, so that we might operate in unity and so that we might play our best for him using these talents and these gifts, all that pillar stuff, to build up the church for his sake and for his glory, so that we can behave just like him, so that we too might seek out sinners and those who suffer, so that we might comfort those who sorrow, befriend outcasts, and love people just like he did, bringing them together in unity, each one using his gifts, to build up the church. So as we all slow down yet again this week with the Backyard Pilgrim, perhaps start to consider a couple of these questions. Are you using your gifts? Are you learning within one of these pillars? Are you playing your best for him? Are you done dismissing and avoiding people within the church because they're just not like you? By God's grace, are you celebrating our unity in our diversity here at Four Mile? Are you a part of God's cosmic plan, his plan to unite all things in Christ? This is a really important teaching that Paul lays out for us today. So I encourage everyone, spend a little bit of time this week reflecting on it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that you descended to dwell among us. You took on the forces of evil in this world. And we thank you that you ascended victoriously, freeing us from the penalty and the power of sin that resides over top of us. Sometimes the burden is almost too hard to handle. And so we thank you that you've poured out the amazing gift of your Holy Spirit on us, to dwell in us, giving us unique gifts to be used as part of your master plan to unite all things in Christ. It's for his sake that we pray. Amen. Amen.